Welcome. You are listening to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. We take on topics involving marriage, ministry, parenting, communication, relationships, and other subjects that our listeners want to hear more about. Welcome to another edition of the Better Together podcast. I'm your co-host, Roz Picardo. And I'm your other co-host, Callie Picardo. And today we have a special guest, uh, Brad Acock, who is the director of Fresh Starts and New Beginnings for the West Ohio Conference of the United Methodist Church. Brad, welcome. Hello. Good to be with you both. Thanks Brad, for having tell me. us a little bit about, yeah, we've, we've known you, of course, for about 10 years now or so, uh, but for our listeners, um, tell us just a little bit about you and maybe your family and what you're up to. Sure. Always happy to talk about my family. Um, I am the director of Fresh Starts and New Beginnings for West Ohio Conference. I've been in that particular role now for, this would be my third year. Um, before that, it was exclusively on New Church Starts, Director of New Church Development, which is um, why I moved to Ohio. Um, Current role would be more like congregational development for a conference or conference development, um, revitalization and new faith communities. So that's a little bit about current role. Um, I have a wife, her name is Anne. She is a speech therapist and she does that online um, from her office at our house and she works with students typically from, you know, particular regions of the U.S. This year, she has a contract with a school in Vermont. And so she works with mainly rural schools. Um, They hire her to do their speech therapy. So she does that online. She's been doing that online since before the pandemic. Um, Of course, it became more common during the pandemic for others to utilize that means. Um, I have a, a seventh grader. His name is Ryan. And I have a college um, sophomore who's an engineering student at the Ohio State University. Um, I'm 51. Um, like I said, I moved here nine years ago now. Still seems like yesterday, doesn't it, Roz? Yeah, it does. And so I'm from born and raised in the boot hill of Missouri, which is way down in the southeast corner of the state of Missouri, which is really two hours north of Memphis, Tennessee. You can detect a little bit of that accent when I say Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> it's three hours south of St. Louis. So we're really more Southern down in that area of the state. Um, born and raised there, rural agricultural area, um, have a biology degree. Uh, after I graduated from college, started some businesses with my brother um, and then a business on my own, a marketing business. Did that for 14 years and sold that marketing business to go into ministry. Um, And that was a big decision, left a a great team of people, lots of great clients um, to get get on this journey um, that has been very exciting since then. And so enrolled at seminary um, and then was hired by a church in Cape Toronto um, to do sort of what I'm doing now 
um, oversee campuses and help start campuses. And then I left that church, went to a 150-year-old church in Sykeston, Missouri, um, to help with a friend of mine who was a senior pastor to work on revitalization. While there, I was uh, being brought to West Ohio um, to do consulting um, by Sue Nelson Kibbe, who we all know and love. Um, and during that time, they were really trying to figure out uh, how they can not just focus on revitalization, but also have more emphasis on new churches. Um, they had not done a lot of new church plants um, probably in, in the previous 50 years. And so lots of conversations, lots of saying no to God, lots of uh, prayer when we finally agreed to pray about it because we didn't really want to come. Um, they're persistent here in West Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then I think you were on one of the interview teams, Roz, I yes. believe, here. Um, and so, you know, we 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 surrendered and said, okay, we'll come. And um, it's been amazing. You know, we displaced our kids at a very pivotal, pivotal age. Ryan was four. Daniel had just finished fifth grade. And it was the summer of, of that year that, that we started being asked to come here. And so he left fifth grade, didn't know he would never see his friends again. Yeah, really, truly, um, and enrolled here in Columbus, Ohio, at a very large school, and so, but it worked out well, um, and we're so thankful that God has been faithful uh, up to this point, and we know that God will be faithful in the future. So, that's awesome. There you go, Brad. I'm so glad you did say yes to that call, and gosh, you're, the church is not known for being the most innovative place. I mean, I think a lot of people when they think of just church in general and our society, they think, yeah, they kind of do things the way they've always done. It's kind of older status quo, but yet you're leading revitalization and innovation. I mean, how do you get places that are historically, or at least in recent history in the United States, been known to be a little more perhaps stuck in their ways to think outside the box? Because I think, you know, you, pastors and lay people listening will probably be can relate to times where it's been change is not easy in our lives as humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when you asked me to talk about innovation, you know, I started thinking about. I think everyone would ha would have their own definition of that, probably, and they would probably all be right. Um, and and you're right. You think about coming into a conference, an established culture. Um, it's different than going into an established church. Similar, but different. You know, this is this is a larger culture. You know, a thousand churches when I got here, um, and a local church when I was at Sykeston, it was probably two fifty to three hundred at the time. But so for me, I think about innovation as change that adds value. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, started that word with change. Yes. Right? Um, I think that's one of the biggest challenges in any established culture, whether it be business or church. Um, in the in the business world, a CEO or president can, can announce a new initiative, change. And, you know, you, you may see it 
progress in three to five years, right? Because you you're you're then you're paid to to move forward with that, or you can find a new job. Mm-hmm. In the church world, mm-hmm. you're talking probably five to seven years before you really see a culture shift, normally speaking, um, because it's it's volunteers, right? Um, and they don't really have to listen to you, uh, and sometimes they shouldn't because we don't always have the great the greatest God ordained vision, right? Sometimes. But you're talking five to seven years before you may see a shift. Some churches don't even have five to seven years, right? So we're asking a lot um, in many of these cases. But change equals loss. And when we lose, we want to fight. We want to um, push back or be opposed to innovation or new initiatives, right? I think when I was at Sykeson, and I see it here too, not everybody is against innovation or your change or your new ideas. For some, it just takes time because change equals loss and loss leads to grieving. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people just need to go through the grief cycle. Um, I like to say that change is like moving a cemetery. You never get much help from the inside. <laughs> wow. Not many of us have stood up and had this great God ordained idea. And then we hear the crickets. Yeah. No, they may not be as excited as us. So it's hard. It's it's lonely. Um, and I don't think there's a magic bullet or wand to it. Um, I think everyone has to have their own approach. You know, I think part of our DNA as Christians, as Jesus followers, is change. Um, if you look at Romans 12, 2, it talks about letting God transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. And if you study that, uh, those verses there, it's not a one-time change. It's like an ongoing journey, right? And so I think in our local churches, as we become disciples of Christ, I like to use a, a definition of a disciple as someone growing from selfish to selfless over time. But speaking for myself, over time, I tend to stop somewhere. Yeah. Hmm. growing and I turn inward and it becomes about me. Um, but if we look at Jesus and the disciples, Jesus constantly poured in. It's a constant change. And so I think I just kind of wanted to set it up. That's my own perspective of, uh, you know, culture change, of organizational change. Um, so there's a lot of things that, that we as leaders can do. I'll just talk about my time in West Ohio and what I've seen at a conference level. Um, which is also the local church level because the conference is made up of a, of a lot of churches and a lot of people. Um, and so I know when I came in, I had a sense of urgency. Hmm. I think we're, we're probably entrepreneurial types like us, evangelistic types. It's like, oh, we got we to gotta reach as many people as we can. They need hope, and love, and grace. Some of that is probably my own issues that I needed to work through too. Okay. I'm assuming they don't have hope, love, and grace, right? First of all, um, they just don't want to go to the churches that apart, yeah. right? So um, so there's some of that. But I think what I've learned at this particular position is nothing moves faster than the speed of trust. Mm. I think that's the number one thing we talk to our planters about in our training is nothing moves faster than the speed of trust. And you can't microwave that. It just takes time. And so what I had to do is what I tell our planters to do and pastors 
and new appointments is go slow now so you can go faster later. And so coming into a new conference, I was, you know, we all have labels that we walk around with. Some of them, we don't realize it, uh, but we all have labels. I came in with labels, um, you know, entrepreneurial person. Sometimes we're, we're perceived as disruptive threats, you know, plant church planters. Um, I was from an outside, a different conference from Missouri. Um, some labels aren't negative, but I was, I was, and still am a white male Asbury grad. Right. So there's, you see, when you walk in, you, you're walking in with labels, some, you know, about some you're not aware of. So you have to kind of be aware of, okay, people see me a certain way. I need to build trust. Mm-hmm. And so I think the most important thing in any organization, church or conference, which is a large church, you got to build trust. Um, and I don't think you can navigate a lot of change until you build trust. What are some things that you recommend to folks to do to build trust? I like to tell people, planters, sales force, when we had that in our company, learn three things about someone before you meet with them. Mm-hmm. I was with Adam Hamilton yesterday and we were talking about this. You know, he's high capacity guy. He would remember you if he met you if five years ago, right? Um, but... I was explaining to Adam, Bishop Palmer and I had the opportunity to meet with the Bengals owner, who day. <laughs> and so I did a lot of research on um, the Brown family and I was mm-hmm. giving, telling Adam, did you know that the Browns were named after Paul Brown, you know, and all of that. Um, he's like, wow, you did a lot of research, didn't you? I was like, yeah, you know, you have to know your context. And so I think that's another thing. Learn three things about people, but but when I moved here, I learned something of uh, several things about each district that I was going to. Hmm. We had eight at the time, so I wanted to know the history of each district because every district is has a different culture here. Mm-hmm. It totally has a totally different culture, and then Cleveland is, has a different culture, right? And so, how can I learn that history and then embrace it with them? Um, and so learn three things about someone before you would meet with them so that you can see if there would be common connections. And that honestly lowers the threshold, right, of building trust in relationships. Can't rush it, but how can you lower the threshold to find something in common with people? Well, and it shows you've taken an interest that you've actually wanted to take the time to get to know a little bit about them, which that speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might not be for everyone, but for me, I like to, I like to make a connection with people as, mm-hmm. you know, as quickly as we can. Um, so that's one thing. And, you know, lots of coffee, um, maybe some meals in there, um, but just showing up um, and getting to know people, building trust. So that first year here, um, as Roz was part of these things, you know, we did think tanks and I, I talked to other developers across our connection, you know, tell me what you do there or did there. And it's like, you gotta, you gotta go slow. And that's not how I'm geared. Mm-hmm. Um, you gotta go slow and dig deep, put those roots deep. And so um, we did the think tanks. I'm talking conference level now. And I, I try to operate with a mindset of 
I'm the conference church planter. I mm. need to like a, like planting a new conference, right? Sort of. And everything that I'm doing, I'm going to be asking our planters to do. Mm-hmm. So um, how can I get out, build relationships, make new connections, share vision, um, maybe raise some money? Because I, I, I was asked to do that as well um, and wasn't comfortable with it. But I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. As you are the expert in that. Mm-hmm. So, so I think going out, giving people home field advantage was important here. Again, understanding who I am and was and, and may, maybe people didn't do that as much in the past where they went out to the comp, to the districts. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give people home field advantage. I wanted to listen. I wanted them to know I was on their team um, and I wanted to hear what their concerns were at that particular point. And then we brought a larger team. We brought those findings together and Roz was part of that dream team um, where we sort of built our process or church plant current process for church planters, which also the mosaic was born out of that meeting as well. Yeah. Never yeah. know what I'll do if you get people in yeah. who, don't, who gets the credit, right? Amen. So then how do, you, how do you figure out when it's time, when they're ready for a change? So you've gone slow, you've built trust, you've built the relationship, um, you know, I, but then at some point you got to pull the trigger and you know, people are going to be upset no matter how long you wait. Yeah. I, great question. Um, I think you've got to make the status quo feel more dangerous than launching into the unknown, first of all. Um, you've got to disrupt or disturb people into the direction that you feel you want to go. And when I say you or me, I'm hopeful that we're all prayed up and, and really God's direction. We're just stepping in with God. That's right. You know, one of my leading verses is Matthew six thirty three: seek mm-hmm. first the kingdom of God. Um, and so we want to make sure that's the beginning and the end of everything we do. But then you do need, because of what I just said, disrupt or disturb people into the direction you want them to go. You do have to create that sense of urgency. Um, and so I remember um, after all of that that year of, um, you know, to to lead a culture, a culture, you have to be able to read it. So I really needed to immerse myself in it. Um, and we were we identified that we were we haven't really grown in 50 years as a conference. Um, Now there are churches that have grown numerically and I'm not saying that it's all about numbers. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying we're, we were declining for 50 straight years as a conference probably comes as no surprise. I I think we all knew that. Um, So I ran a lot of um, numbers, had some data to share with our cabinet um, with others and just said, you know, we've got to, we've got to move forward with urgency um, with this vision. And then yeah, I'll just go through a list of things that I've put together as I thought about this. So you build trust, create a sense of urgency, form a coalition. Um, you've got to get people on board um, to help you move forward with this. And that team, I have a, I have like a governing board that I work with. It's conference elected. But then we had um, our dream team that I called them um, Bishop Palmer is very collaborative. And so we include a lot of different circles of people 
into what we're doing. In our greenhouse training, we have shark tanks. We have um, other teams that are part of this. And so we've built a coalition by including a lot of people. And those folks are some of our biggest cheerleaders and champions now to help move this forward. Um, so, and then develop a vision. And, you know, without vision, the people will perish. I think vision is so important and it really does get people excited, especially, again, no bad people or any criticism on anyone. We just haven't planted a lot of churches in the past. And so we did not have a lot to say, hey, look at this or look at that to get people excited. We had to acknowledge um, some of the things that we may may not have done effectively um, and explain how we're going to do it differently. Um, Here's the vision, and then let's move forward. So, and then that's when we identified planters like you all and, you know, started doing two, three, four, five new church starts a year, probably five, six years ago. Um, And you know me well enough by now to know that I like to celebrate. Yes. The next thing on my list is you got to celebrate every victory, small Mm -hmm. and large, because we replicate what we celebrate. Mm, that's so good. Do we want to replicate gloom and doom? Or do we want to replicate 120 baptisms from Mosaic? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do a lot of social media celebrating mm-hmm. of my, my friends and colleagues because I think Jesus is celebrating when we baptize 120 and- people. So. so, yeah, I know it, I'm annoying on social media because I like to celebrate, but I mean, you know, Nehemiah says uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength and Mm -hmm. we get joy by celebrating and we draw strength by celebrating. So, so that's a little bit about sort of the approach. Yeah. I, you know, what you mentioned that can apply to any, it's not just the church or conference, but really any organization or in our personal lives, um, how to go about creating a change in a, a culture and environment. What's interesting is what you have is a specialized skill and ministry wasn't really on your horizon early on. What ignited this passion for you doing the role that you're doing? I mean, I did, I did not see it coming, but we had a business. Um, we had two businesses in Missouri. I had one, um, an agricultural consulting business with my brother, um, Barry, for the, for like 20-something years. Um, and that was very unique, a very niche um, operation for cotton farmers in the boot hill. Um, and then out of that, started a marketing business uh, because I just saw a need for that. And so that business grew, and we had clients all over the U.S. who would hire us to help them improve their brands or create their brands or reimagine their brands. And so we would come in and work with them on that. Um, And then we had offered products as well. Um, And so that business grew and I'm a biology major, so it's not my background. Um, But I do say that that's why I think like in systems, you know, in processes, those are important in everything. Um, So did the marketing business and, 
And then I met my my wife and started dating her Jan- or September of 98, 25 years ago, um, 26 this year. So I was unchurched for since the age of 12, um, dropped out of church. So I was unchurched for probably 12, 14 years. You know, I was I was a good guy, but um, believed in God, but didn't see the purpose in the church. Again, some of that was my own stuff, but some of it was just didn't see the purpose in the church. And so she um, she did go to church, and she invited me to attend the New United Methodist Church. It was probably ten years old at the time, um, and. I, I really had a, an encounter with God that I'd never experienced before when she took me. And it's like, okay. It's like, that's cool. I didn't admit it. It's like, yeah, that was all right. But I'm going to take you to the Baptist church over here too, you know, because I was Baptist because I hadn't been in 14 years. But men can be that way sometimes. Um, not Roz, but men can be that way sometimes. So, um, but yeah, so we started going to that church and they had a Saturday night service, and so we would go to Saturday night, and then we would go to her smaller church in her hometown Sundays. Most people don't go to two different churches, drive an hour or two hours both ways. You, you think, okay, something's going on. And then we got married in in, in the United Methodist Church, and um, probably 2002 or three really started giving more of my time to helping that smaller church while also attending the larger church. And eventually started wrestling with a call in the ministry. And so when I was involved in those churches, I was using some of our business skills and experiences. That might be what you're trying to get at there is uh, in the local church, which is a common, you know, for people to use clarity and messaging um, and communication, marketing and communication. So started doing a lot of that in the local church and saw some results in that the church did. And then, you know, got hired by LaCroix United Methodist Church in Cape when I started seminary and so sold the business and then went to seminary. And um, yeah, and so how I got here, um, my wife and I were reflecting and Adam yesterday too, is I was at a training at LaCroix and almost 20 years ago now and i met sue nelson kippy there because she was doing a training um and brought sue in to my next church that i served at she's you know she's really gifted and don't you don't even know what she's paying attention to but she somehow invited me to do some consulting here i was like oh sure you spent the weekend at our church with trainings, but didn't really know what she saw in me. Um, so then she, they started bringing me here and um, that's when they created the position um, for new church development. So I think probably entrepreneurial, you know, starting things, you know, growing things. Um, some of those things that I probably took into the local church. So that ex- that explains your passion for starting new things just because it's proven that they have the ability to reach people you know that you were once unchurched 
on the fringes and it spoke to you somehow, some way that maybe a more established church that hadn't experienced revitalization could have at the time. I am I am passionate about reaching people like I once was, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I see so much value and importance in starting new churches. And when I say that, let me be clear that I'm not saying that we should not invest or focus our attention and resources on established churches. But I will say, oftentimes, churches will see a new season of of, of reaching new people if they do try new things or yes. expressions or right new campuses. And it's changed a lot. Even when I was at Sykeson and we doubled there, I don't know that those things would work anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't send a family of five into a church really um, and expect it to be turned around like you might have been able to do 15 years ago. It's different leaders now. It's a different approach. It's a different church. And so mm-hmm. we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We have to invest in revitalization mm-hmm. at the same time, new faith communities. And many times, especially in West Ohio, it's one and of the same. We're not doing a lot yes. of parachute plants. We're doing campuses or locations out of established churches. And as you all know, and Brian Law at Christ Kettering would um, say, it brings new life to mm-hmm. the parent church or partner church, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So so I think there's a lot of value and benefits in it. And I think that was part of that first year of like, oh, no, we don't want to do a lot of parachute plants. Mm-hmm. And it's not up to me. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. the model um that's another thing that i learned when i came i think people felt like oh we're going to plan a bunch of ginghamsburg model churches mm-hmm. and you'll never hear me criticize a model because i think there's a place for all of them the place for all and they're all still working mm-hmm. it's all about context mm-hmm. right? so what i'm trying to do is if you have an idea i'm not going to say are you sure god called you to that <laughs> There probably was a time in my life where I would have said, you don't seem like a planter to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Who am I to question what God has mm-hmm. placed on your life and heart? It's my role here to say, praise God that God has given you this idea. How can I come alongside you and support you and encourage you and resource you? Mm-hmm. Right, And so that's why we have our church planter training is to help build that plan. So it makes makes sense to, to other people that might not want to take as much risk. Yeah, Brad, that's awesome. Thank you for the, the work you're doing. Yes. Uh, and friends, as you've been listening to Brad, perhaps you've got a change you know that you need to make. Um, perhaps something stirred on you that you're thinking, gosh, whether it's uh, in your local church, whether it's in your own life personally, whether it's in your family, workplace, community, whatever it might be. Um, hopefully this has been encouraging you to start move slow, build those relationships, build that trust, but then also be ready and cast that vision, help people get a little uncomfortable with the status quo so they can move forward into the next that God's calling you into. And don't forget, as Brad said, to celebrate along the way. And if this has encouraged you today, I hope you'll share it with someone, you know, that can be encouraged as well. And in the meantime, remember, we are better together. God bless. God bless.